The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to the NXT Rise and Fall podcast. Looking back on NXT, the black and gold era from Forsyth University, one show at a time. And we have finally reached a point where we're going to have our first NXT champion crowned. Joining me as always to see this, I suppose, pretty historic event is the king himself, Joshua Goodwin. How are we doing today, sir? May I am hyped. Someone's going to get that shiny, shiny I count. <laughs> the shiny, shiny that's covered in fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being funny. A little bit of a polish, lads. A bit of a wipe is what it takes. I mean, they, they did do it. They did shine it up. But like in the weeks that we've already listened to, yeah, it looks a little bit like, you know, yeah. it's spent... It's spent like it's it's spent its downtime in a cupboard, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or I, 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 sorry, but or everyone went and touched it. Everyone's like, "Oh, yes. look at the new shiny." Yeah, <laughs> I would. I'd, I'd I'd go and have a little look. Yeah, everyone did it with my crown, Si. Everyone, yes, crown. You yeah. take that around a locker room. Everyone's like, "Give me the shiny!" Like, fuck off. <laughs> the crown that I tried on yesterday as well. Yesterday, yes. If you yes. Uh, check out Twitter right now, listeners, you'll see this pretender wearing my kit. That's it. That's it. I'm nowhere near as regal enough to be wearing that, my friend. Nowhere near. I, d- I do not pull that off at all. Um, <laughs> on the topic of the title belt, I know we've touched upon it on previous episodes of NXT Rising 4, but here we are seeing the first champion crowned with the, with the winner of the Rollins-Mahal match later on on the show. Uh, what are your thoughts on the actual design itself? Again, it's, it's kind of grown on me. I, mm-hmm. I do like later designs, but it's fine. Like again, I think that's the main thing I would say about it. It's fine. I mean, with most of these things, it starts off and it's it's just what the belt looks like, right? Yes. Um, 
but over time it, it acquires a prestige it acquires you know a, a cachet as you if you will um and then the title itself like its appearance becomes less important because it becomes more synonymous with everything that comes with it um so f- as i said for example like the nwa title um if it came out today yeah it probably wouldn't it look a little out of place nowadays yeah in terms yeah. of like its design but because of the history it carries with it because of its being synonymous with flair with roads with race you know all the names you can rattle off um you know it it means it just it it just is at that point and so like its design is slightly less important and i guess now that we're going to have somebody win it you know it's going to be represented as much by the person who wins it mm-hmm. as by you know the way it looks yeah yeah it makes a lot. And, and the nwa title i think you, you you're spot on there because i love that belt but i love it because of seeing harley race looking like the scariest man in the world with that over his shoulder and so on yeah. if it came out now i think you're right it's almost it would almost be maybe a bit plain and dare i say it even maybe a bit small yeah it probably would be a bit small now i mean belts have gotten progressively bigger over the past 120 odd years like mm. you look back at the belt that say lou fez or even ed lewis literally had a belt yes and, and the idea of someone actually having like a physical belt that you could actually hold your pants up with uh would be a little bit ridiculous now yeah um that being said, like I do feel like they've maybe taken it a little bit too far with some of them. As I said, I think like the WWE championships now look like they belong on the front of a car. Mm. Um, but you know, again, you learn to love it, or at least you learn to live with it, as Ric Flair would say. Yeah, yeah, good shape. Uh, I suppose going on from there, then we've discussed in the past how important titles are and title designs are and the prestige championships and so on. Does it have to be a belt for you? I know that is tradition, and I know that is what the norm and what everyone goes to. But I mean, what pops in my head really is is progress. When progress wrestling in the UK started up, they didn't have a belt for a while. They had like this kind of staff, like scepter thing at one point, yeah. if I remember rightly. What I mean, I applaud them for trying something new because everyone has a belt. But what are your thoughts on that? Would you would you always opt for a belt, or would you try something different? Do you think it matters? Because it, is it more what it symbolises? I mean, I didn't hate the idea because yeah, the, the progress had like sort of a standard, right? I think is how I'd put it, um, and it looked fine. I think it's the sort of thing where you kind of have to lead from the front. So if WWE were to do it, they'd mm-hmm. be okay. I think if like a more local promotion did it. People will just think they haven't got enough money to afford a belt. Um, okay. it, and again, I think it's it's one of those things. It's the same as like, everything's got to come from the top down. Um, WWE or rather FCW had um, like an Iron Man medal. And it was like a physical, like a, it looked like one of Kurt Angle's old throwaways, but it was like a, it was almost like a version of the TV title, but they had, it was an, an Ironman match and it had a 15 minute time limit. And I think it was defended on every show and it's just a little, little medal. So, and that worked. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's like, like most of these things, it, after a while, it becomes what it represents. But I mean, you know, to other, think of other things like that hardcore title, I appreciate it was by design, but that looked like a piece of crap. Yes. So like anything can be made important. Anything can get over as it were. And so, yeah, I have no problem with the idea of having trophies or, say having medals i mean to be honest i think it would be kind of neat if say you you won a title and you got a medal but you keep the medal 
Because you yeah. could see how decorated someone was getting, like as it goes. I, just a thought. In the same way as um, uh, American football players, or actually most American sports, like you win a championship, you get a ring, and mm. so the idea that you get to keep that ring, I think, would be quite neat. Um, but yeah. that was just something off the top of my head. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, you mentioned there as well the the hardcore title looking like a piece of shit again by design. Do you think maybe sometimes a a title belt design? can take away from its prestige. I mean, my, my mind goes to, uh, you mentioned the hardcore title. My mind naturally then went to the 24 seven championship in WWE. Mm-hmm. And then from there, because it looks very much like a coin on the front of a belt, my mind went to the tag team championships. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the tag titles when I was a kid growing up held by the heart foundation and, uh, the Legion of doom when they came in in the early nineties and the nasty boys, that kind of era, it was the, the almost more square design with the, the world, the globe on it and world written in red. And those are the belts I always think of when I think tag team wrestling mm. and they, they are prestigious to me. They are like, you know, I love those belts. The tag titles now I think look like crap, but they are actually, they're actually there as the symbol of this exactly the same championship. And because mm-hmm. of the length of time it's existed, in theory, it should be more prestigious because it's an older, chi- older title now. But I don't, I don't like them, and I think that maybe sometimes that harms my opinion of that championship. Is that something that you think affects other people? Does it affect yourself, or is it again, is it a prop? I mean, it is a prop. That being said, it does make a difference. Um, I think it comes back to it's what I said about like names or music or things like that like a good name won't necessarily make you good music won't make you a good title won't make you but a bad title bad music a bad name can break you it can Mm -hmm. you know kill you off before you even get going um and so yeah i mean if if your belt looks like crap or if it just is not an attractive design or it doesn't look like something worth fighting over yeah it's gonna harm the credibility of it because again it comes back to being something worth fighting for. And if it's something that people don't think is worth fighting for, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle at that point. Mm. Um, with, with the tag titles, like the ones that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, I think that these things are just designed to, to appeal to kids now. Like they're, they're a bit colorful. And that, and that sounds odd because I mean, Ultimate warriors, like some of his titles, like the specific title design um, or rather the color was like different, but I think it was, more sort of to appeal to like it was more sort of to play to himself and i think mm-hmm. they've done that with people like cena and things of that nature but i do think like your actual main title probably should you know look like something worth winning and oftentimes it doesn't like these new abouts i'm not a fan of no no I, I i appreciate the idea in that all the titles pretty much look the same mm-hmm. you know, the the big ww logo on the front and then the lever, the backing changes color to symbolize what that championship actually is. I kind of like the, the the format they're going with. I think that's quite a, a unique take for a company that has multiple championships. But mm. I just, I don't, I I would rather, I mean, I grew up with the big gold on WCW, the, the winged eagle and the big eagle on, on WWF TV and, and the Intercontinental Championship that Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart held. And eventually we had the white lever back to it and so on. So when I see the titles all looking the same, I can appreciate the idea Mm. but on the other side of the coin i rather they went back to these old classics i think yeah i mean with title belts looking the same i think they did it well with ufc 
because all okay. those belts are the same. I mean, they they represent different weight classes, but it is the idea that everyone's equally important. It's just that they're in different weight classes. So I don't mind that. That being said, the actual design for the UFC championship is very nice, especially mm. the one that came before this one. Um, I feel um, this, as I say, I think the new WWE like with the big W, it just, it looks like it should be on a toy or the front of a car for me. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that some of the older designs just looked better. That's, you know, and that is a personal preference thing. And I think if you ask someone who grew up with these belts, like if you grew up with someone who started watching around the time that the universal title was unveiled, not only would they have a problem with not have a problem with, they probably like them. It'd probably be like a favorite of theirs because it's what you grew up with. I was going back to James Bond and I think your favorite James Bond's the one you grew up with. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's possibly just, you know, we're, we're getting a little old, so. <laughs> yeah this is true this is true i wonder if i show my kids some of like the nwa title and so on if they look at it and go that looks dated now i'm not sure maybe i'll have to do that and report back for next week i right, maybe maybe find out yeah. for us and also on that note with, with regards to title belts and us liking the more traditional designs and so on by far and away the highest selling replica belt wwe have is the John Cena spinner belt, even to this day. It outsells every other replica belt on their website by three to one. It is by far the most successful title replica available via the, their official direct shop. Having said that it doesn't matter, I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Let's move on then to save you vomiting down yourself. We have... <laughs> Uh, this show obviously is the NXT crowning its first ever champion. It's the August 29th episode of NXT from 2012, hailing from again For Sale University. The show opens with quite lively crowd with their signs and quite a bit, bit of backing there for Seth Rollins, which was quite nice to see as well, Joshua. Yeah, they're happy to be there for a change. They're definitely a bit lively and they're, they're definitely behind Seth Rollins looking at all the signs. I've got I don't want to, I, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I, I noticed something on, during watching the main event, but I'm going to leave it until the main event. But it's, okay. it's fun. It's very fun. Okay. I don't think we're going to take long to get to the main event. Because, I mean, first thing I noticed when I pressed play on this show is that these episodes of NXT have been clocking in at 46, 47 minutes. We've had a couple that even click over the 50-minute mark, 52, 53, that sort of area. This one, I think, is the shortest episode we've had so far at 41 minutes, which surprised yeah. me. You know, because I'm thinking the main event's going to be a big deal. So I was quite surprised to see that. Yeah. I mean, they do set a pretty brisk pace. I'd say it really is a one match card. Uh, mm. And they give that one match like ample time, uh, but they do rattle through everything else pretty swift. Yes. And I will go, we'll go through the rest of the show uh, in a moment. But yeah, well, they do rattle through it very quickly. But I don't think anything really misses because of the shortness of time. I think it does the job it needs to do in the time it's given. Uh, again, more time can sometimes equal, you know, getting things over in a, in a more effective way. But considering it was rushed, I don't think it completely trashed what was before the main event. No, I don't think so. I think that they just wanted to get to the main event. The main event was, not only was it the main event, for lack mm. of a better term, but it was really the only event on this card. Everything else was just building up to the main event. The main, you know, this is the culmination of the big tournament that they've had for uh, some time. And so it, it makes sense that this would be the focus and really the only real focus of this whole show. And I don't think it hurt 
uh, anything else for it. I mean, they, as I say, they just sort of rumbled through a few preliminaries and then got to the main event. It kind of reminded me of um, like a boxing card almost where you've got like that Tyson versus Holyfield and then it's like the rest of the card is like, who are these people? And it yeah. didn't really matter. <laughs> and it didn't really matter as much. Not, not that they went there quite with like, it wasn't just preliminary guys, uh, but they very much were like, okay, let's get this out of the way and get to the main event. Mm, yeah, fair enough. But before we head on with what's going on in NXT, I guess we better check in with what's going on elsewhere with the Goodwin Report. The Goodwin Report. Hi, oh, cheers, Si. Um, so the Goodwin Report's getting bigger now, I've noticed. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it's because we've we've just got more people on it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna institute potentially I'm going to make the Goodwin rule. And it's going to be that after you've left NXT, unless you do something earth shatteringly awesome, you've got three months and then you've, and then I'm going to move the spotlight on because it it occurred to me that in like two years, the Goodwin report is going to be longer than the show because it's going to have have its own podcast. It's going to have its own (laughs) channel. (laughs) Hey, I mean, I guess I'm okay with that, but it'd be more work. So, (laughs) and I'm inherently lazy anyway. Um, Monday Night Raw for uh, the NXT airing on the August 29th was, let's see, what do we have? So, um, turns out I said last week that, or the week before, because I didn't ask me anything because I'm lazy, um, that <laughs> Kate, I said Caitlin did something. Turns out that she won a battle royal to become number one contender for the Divas title. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just thought I'd pick that one up because I dropped the ball on that one. Um, Anyway, so Layla had a had a contest with Natalia Neidhart, uh, who NXT alum, good friend of the show. Um, so it again had another indication of just how valuable Divas wrestling was at the time, because prior to this match, Vicky Guerrero came out to announce that she had an announcement, so this match had better hurry up so that she could get her announcement in. And, oh dear. and so during this match between Layla and Natalia, which was fine, it didn't set the world on fire. You had Vicky Guerrero literally standing on the ring steps, huffing and puffing, waiting to say her announcement. Oh my word. When you mentioned Div- the Battle Royal as well, I'm assuming yeah. because of the era it was the Divas Battle Royals then, as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, women's wrestling Battle Royals. They yes. have this thing where the over the top rope rule. Sorry, so you can put my teeth in there. The over the top rope rule was, um, wasn't always adhered to. And if you went through the ropes, you were out as well. And I just thought, man, it just makes it just, it's just not taking anything seriously. Is it? No, I mean, having battle Royals for, for the ladies is a tricky one anyway, because like as a general rule, they are that little bit shorter. Mm. So getting, getting folk over the top rope without it looking like complete garbage can sometimes be tricky, especially if you're not actually a fucking wrestler. Mm. Um, they, they did their best blessing, but yes, it was a, a middle rope battle Royal dealy. Just get them out the ring. Um, anyway, uh, Layla won that one because whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy, but it was divas at the time. Yeah. Um, Slater won a match last week to the point where he was so happy. He touted about it. So, you know, good for him. Uh, oh, tight. Wow. Tight, yeah, tight was a thing. They were really pushing that hard for a bit. Wow. Um, yeah, I think that was in the wake of Zack Ryder starting to get some popularity. Like, we want to get on, <laughs> we want to get online, but we want to own online because Vince yeah. McMahon wants to own everything. 
Um, but yeah, he his streak ended at the hands of Santino. <laughs> so right, <laughs> that shows how valuable that was. We also had an appearance from Oksana, who in the midway through the match, like walked out. Apparently, the Cobra, you know, Santino's Cobra, fancied Oksana because you know wrestling's not ridiculous enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he won that. Uh, the main event. Um, the main event saw CM Punk defeat Jerry Lawler in a cage match. Um, is significant because CM Punk had had a haircut. Um, right. The, what, the other thing that was of significance during this show was it was the first um, of the anger management skits with Daniel Bryan and Kane, if you remember them. I do. Why? I mean, that's two things that I don't think if you hadn't actually said the words to me now, I may never have thought of these things again in my life. But now you've reminded me of Tout and these anger management skits. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, that those things happened. Why? I mean, but I mean, one of them was good, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and and quickly commenting on the NWA, there were two NWA champions featured on this show. That being future NXT alum Zack Ryder or Matt Cardona, as he would be known, and uh, Tyrus or Brodus Clay at the time. Brodus so Clay. somebody called his mama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, moving on to SmackDown, we have a little bit more of, uh, the diva burial, as I will call it, because we had, um, Natalia facing Caitlin in what was another very good match, actually, especially for the time. Unfortunately, it was somewhat overshadowed by Eve being on guest commentary and it was literally Michael Cole interviewing Eve for the entire contest to the point where they ignored everything that was going on. Oh, like it, they really like completely had nothing to say about the match. Like you had um, Josh Matthews like, hey, there, there is a match going on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, shut up. I'm talking to Eve. Um, another quick thing that I wanted to uh, jump on with the poor Divas is something I noticed about the music and Caitlin's music and Layla's music that I wanted to quickly comment on. And that was, so the lyrics to Layla's music were, I'm insatiable. I need to find a boy. That okay. And Caitlin's music is talking about spin the bottle. Now, move that forward 10 years. Do you think anyone's going to find that acceptable? I fucking don't. It, it kind don't. of, again, it kind of just shows like where, how they're viewed. They're still very much eye candy. Mm -hmm. It's still very much like, you know, the Vince and Johnny show. <laughs> where, yeah. You know, the divas revolution can't come soon enough. <laughs> 100%. Um, in other news, uh, Sheamus defeated NXT alum Sandow by countout when he literally sprinted away. Um, the primetime players defeated uh, Gabriel and Kidd in a match that wasn't bad. Um, also, I had another gripe about the tag teams at this time, right? So they actually had a decent crop of tag teams. You had Cremo and Epico. You had um, Tyson Kidd and Gabriel. You had the primetime players who were coming along. Um, but the individuals on top of the card tended to be just that they were individuals. So like the current tag team champions are R-Truth and Kofi Kingston. So not really a tag team. And I've always thought that's not a great thing when mm. you're, you're, when you're actual, it essentially, I don't want to say it buries your tag division, but it doesn't present them in the best light when two individuals who maybe for them, teamwork isn't their strongest suit can defeat like the best teams in the world. It, it's, it's like the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe like an NBA all-star team being able to beat like an NBA team, which in theory is possible, but I would have thought the teamwork might have a greater effect. Yeah. And I think that that's 
rings true for so much of wrestling throughout the decades as well. Because, I mean, you see it now where individuals who are obviously going to be feuding a few months down the line win the tag titles just as part, almost like a stepping stone or a part of their tale to get to where they're going. And we've had it with The Rock and Cena during their program. Mm -hmm. We had it with, I mean, I'm I'm actually watching a little bit of... um, 1999 Nitro for my sins mm. at the moment, and you've got going into Starcade, you've got Bret Hart and Goldberg for the World Championship. Yeah, and they win the, the they win the tag team titles as well. Mm-hmm. So from that aspect, it makes I guess the one part of the show more interesting because they have this added extra to their storyline. But it affects everywhere else on the show and so many more performers. And if you're dealing with some something like Roxena or you're dealing with Goldberg Hart, you don't need the tag belts involved. There's already enough of an attraction there, surely. Absolutely. I mean, and and again, it just it shits on the principle that the teamwork is what makes these matches special. I mean, yeah. in our particular timeline, if you will, like Team Hal Noah are going to take it from our truth in Kingston. So an actual tag team aren't even going to get a sniff in. Mm. <laughs> you know, and we've got things like where uh, oh Braun Strowman won the tag titles with a child that time. It's like. Ugh. <sighs> It just it 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 makes my soul weep just a little bit. Um, anyway, on to uh, the main event for uh, SmackDown. Randy Orton defeated uh, Dolph Ziggler, and that was a thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another another quick gripe actually with that is that something that I found in watching the two, the twenty twelve is that the very tippy top of the card are almost entirely unmoving. So we've had Alberto Del Rio face Sheamus at least 350 million times. And right. he's going and he's going to face him again on pay-per-view. Uh this the main event for uh what is it Night of Champions is going to be CM Punk Cena again. Um mm. but then under that the actual like let's say the contenders for the Intercontinental Championship or the contenders for the Tag Team Championship or the contenders for the Divas Championship are so interchangeable. It's just the champion and a challenger who they've just mm. picked out of a it's like they've picked them out of a hat really and like like with caitlin's like she won a battle royal that is some of the laziest like booking that you can come up with it's just uh just give them a match yeah and i feel like what's yeah. probably going to happen is caitlin's going to have her match she's probably going to lose and then it'll be someone else um so let's move away from wwe since it's making me depressed <laughs> <laughs> So this this event takes place on the 29th. On the 30th, we have a promotion called Wrestling New Classic, which is something of an oxymoron. Um, it's yeah. interesting because it's a Japanese promotion. It was owned by Tajiri, which I didn't know Tajiri ever owned a promotion. Normally. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we have um, Akira, a Starbuck, uh, and a name I cannot pronounce, Sayuri. So defeat Kana and the Unholy Alliance, which is Tajiri and, Mike, and Mikey Whitbreck in a six-man barbed wire board death match. Now, if you're wondering why I'm telling you this, Kana is the future Asuka. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and I did actually manage to find a quick clip of this. Did manage to find a quick clip of this, and it shows Asuka getting launched into a barbed wire board. Of course which, it did. <laughs> which which wasn't the most fun, but again, you look at it through the lens of uh, 2012, you're probably not getting very many divas getting thrown through barbed wire or even having a sniff at the main event. Yeah. Have you seen the video of um, Oscar wrestling Minoru Suzuki? 
I have. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, apparently she was desperate for him to work how he would with a man, and he was uncomfortable with this. So she gave him a bit of a slap and a, a rolling him backstage and basically made him beat the piss out of her. It's how she describes the story. So, and you know, it, and it, it is, there are moments where you sort of, you do wince a bit, don't you? <laughs> Minoru Suzuki is an evil, mean granddad genie. Your wish mm. is my command. I will beat the <laughs> fuck out of you then. Uh, the funny thing is as well, that when I saw that footage, the very next clip on my timeline, I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter or whatever I was looking at, the very next clip of Suzuki on my timeline was him riding his granddaughter's uh, Hello Kitty pink tricycle down the driveway in his house. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just two different, completely different things. <laughs> He's a he's a strange one, isn't he, Minoru Suzuki? Yeah. <laughs> but but then when you're that hard a bastard, you can pretty much do what you want. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Um, and finally, in something that I should have mentioned on the last Goodwin report, but forgot, I just want to get it in here. Lars Sullivan, you know Lars Sullivan, the future NXT alum, posted mm. on a bodybuilding forum, and I quote: uh, "The fact that there is the fact is there is a grey area when it comes to the definition of rape." Oh, for goodness sake, Lars Sullivan, man. That's, I mean, that's something else that I probably wouldn't have thought of again if you hadn't brought him up. And <laughs> on that, se- separate to tight and Team Hell No, I wish you had not. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I just, uh, yeah, I'm going to try and get him in because there are some gems as we go along. And yeah. I just want them to be remembered before people talk about how awesome he was. Uh, he's an absolute <laughs> dirtbag. Um, yeah, not, not not a nice boy. Objectively, not, not a nice boy. Well, you know, some of the some of the other boys in those videos he made may may say he is quite a nice boy, but that's that's his business and that's his home entertainment films. So there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on then to NXT, and, and as I mentioned earlier on, and as Joshua has mentioned as well, it is very much a one match card. So we'll sort of scan through the undercard and the bits that happen. Um, probably as quick as they actually happened themselves, because some of them are pretty lightning, blink, and you miss it. The The show starts with a tag team contest, and it's a rematch from a few weeks ago, where Jason Jordan and Mike Dalton, uh, again, maybe I think it's a four weeks ago on the program, defeated, yes, defeated Humiko and Camacho. And this is the rematch at last from that contest. And you could kind of predict where this is going to go already, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this, is, I suppose, is the second longest match of the night. This is probably the most wrestling outside of the main event, Joshua. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I, th- I think in terms of matches that went bell to bell, there were only three. Yeah, um, so that's true. Yes. And yeah, this was it was it was a match, I guess you could call, but in the loosest sense of the word, like you know, it was literally get in, do your shit, get out. Um, and it was fine. I mean, in terms of the things that caught my eye, I remember. Um, Hunico very much impressed me with a couple of things. I recall he did um, a, a Tope Atomico, I believe it's called, or an Eddie Guerrero, okay. as I would have known it. Um, and then, which was very flashy and very crisp looking, but then followed up with a kick to the back so that he didn't, you know, outshine his baby face, I felt was a good uh, way to mm. do that. Um, other than that, he also did a one arm powerbomb on Jason Jordan that he got the timing. Like Jason Jordan got the timing way off, so he just muscled him up, and I was like, "Whoa, that was that uh, is that from the roll up? It's almost like they, he went yeah. for a schoolboy roll up and then kind of picked him up with one arm. That was really impressive." Yeah, it is something that um, Hunico had in his like repertoire, 
Um, but to do it to JJ, like to do it to JJ with his help would have been one thing, but I think JJ just got the timing wrong. So he was a bit of a dead weight, but Hunico mm. still like got him most of the way up and dropped him. I was like, Ooh, that took some doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike Dalton, you can, obviously we know he goes on to be Tyler Breeze. Yeah. But all I can see of him here is, well, I say all I can see, all I'm thinking or all I'm feeling is just be Tyler Breeze already. I'm just waiting for that to happen because, I mean, I like his ring gear. I, I like purple anyway. I like his ring gear. Uh, the guy looks the part. He's decent enough in the ring. But I'm just thinking, oh, there's nothing else there for me. Just become Tyler Breeze now. Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. There's absolutely nothing about him. And I think that was one of his problems that he faced here and in FCW where they're like, well, you know, you're, you're a decent baby face, but we've just, we've got enough decent fiery baby faces so yeah i think he he is a guy who needs to go away and get repackaged and and luckily for all of us that does take place but right now he's just kind of blah yeah yeah blah is spot on blah is spot on mm-hmm. uh eventually he does receive the hot tag though and the crowd are very happy about this and i think this makes a big difference for this show because we've seen episodes of nxt where the crowd may have been sat there for like three days already and they're wiped out they're tired whatever but we've seen episodes of NXT where the crowd are pretty dead barring certain moments. Here, they seem quite into pretty much everything that happens throughout the show, I think, Joshua. And it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they were very much up for it. I think that that does always add a lot. I mean, I've been on shows where people are working their guts out and it doesn't matter because the folks just either aren't buying what you're selling or just aren't buying anything. Like, And that can often come down to atmosphere. Like, let's say you're in a big old sports hall and all the house lights are on. So all the audience can like see each other. Mm. Yeah. If you're watching like something like that, you get a bit self-conscious. It's the same as why um, people feel like they can scream and shout when they're in their car or behind a keyboard, like people, yeah. like they have less inhibition. So if you put people in a darker room where they can't see everyone else and everyone else can't see them, they'll kind of give it a bit more stick. That being said with this, I think it probably comes down to just being a bit more familiar with the product and possibly it not being like the end of like a seven hour taping session and everyone's just fucking knackered. Yeah, <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the finish comes with, uh, I don't really know how to describe this. It's almost, it's almost an angle slam but a little bit more sort of a vertical spin to it or a fireman's carry takedown, but a bit more of a snap to it than just a takedown, whatever, whatever it was, or if there was a particular name for it. I was quite impressed by this. I mean, this comes from, uh, I think it's uh, Camacho who catches the leg of, is it Dalton who takes the pin? It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's Cam- I mean, Camacho catches the leg of Dalton who then is distracted momentarily and falls into this move. And I thought that was quite clever. And then we have Jason Jordan's legs being held so he cannot go and break the count as well. So, yeah, I mean, that, it, it ticked a lot of boxes for me because the, the heels win the match, look good, but it's not a completely clean victory because the guy on the outside has interfered, which is, in theory, should be illegal. Yeah. And also Jason Jordan, who is not thrash, but he's on his feet on, 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 the, on the ring apron, is stopped from interfering rather than sometimes in tag matches where you see a guy stood there just looking at his partner being pinned and looking like a bit of a dumbass. I mean, it kind of quite tidily took care of those things. Yeah, it does cover all the bases. The, the only thing about that is he, he, did, he gave him a slingshot. Um, Camacho gave Dalton a slingshot as opposed to grabbing his leg. Um, my gripe with it, was only that um i'm trying to recall now so dalton had a pin 
on Hunico. Camacho broke it. JJ came in then to mm-hmm. interrupt what Camacho was doing and the ref sent him away. I feel like what needed to happen there is Dalton need to get up a bit quicker so that they could execute it. Unfortunately, the ref's dealing with JJ for just a little bit too long. Right, so it, okay. kind of, it kind of it dropped the momentum and also made JJ look bad, I think. It just, it just needed to be sped up just that little bit. So have Dalton pop up, have Camacho hit the uh, hangman deal and then have Hunico do what I believe would be a modified Samoan drop, would be what I would right, call okay. it. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, that is a nice looking movie. It's one of his, uh, one of his signatures, but him being uh, a man that didn't win very often, you didn't see it. Um, for me, I didn't feel like they needed to get their win back though. No. I didn't feel it, I didn't feel it was necessary. Um, especially for guys who essentially have been used as enhancement talent. You know, they got their, their fluke win and then to get beaten again so quickly, like it mm. kind of, it it like the argument was that oh well now it's one apiece but it's, yeah it is one apiece but Hunico and Camacho are very much the more established names right yes so they've got they, characters to them for a start yeah they've got they've got characters they've got gimmicks however you want to put it I think Dalton and JJ could have done with maybe another win or just not to have lost this soon mm. like to try and build a little momentum um, that being said like if they don't really have any plans for them. You know, fair enough, beat him. And maybe maybe it was much more, it wasn't so much to build up Mike Dalton and Jason Jordan. It was more to have that shock that we had four weeks ago because we'd been watching so many enhancement matches where they were just getting Willard. And so to switch it up a bit, maybe that was just mm. the intention. Yeah, no, I agree. They didn't need necessarily to get their win back. Uh, another win for Dalton and Jordan here could have made it even more interesting as Camacho and Humico across because they've been, they've been, you know, beaten again they've been foiled once more it could have advanced even further potentially couldn't it it certainly worked in the Rey Mysterio um Eddie Guerrero angle Mm. which I appreciate these people are of a different status in the company but at the time Eddie Guerrero was definitely higher up the pecking order than Mysterio and I think Mysterio beat him like what six seven eight times straight and then the like it ended with Guerrero getting his win back but in the process, it elevated Mysterio because he'd beat him so many other times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good shot. Good shot. Uh, what follows, I think, is a brilliant example of how to get eyeballs on some talent, how to get these guys on the TV, how to potentially further their story, their feud, without having to actually have a match or have the bog standard stand backstage, run their mouth into a microphone whilst some guy in a suit stands there looking scared or whatever. Mm. I think this is a really clever little segment. We have the Usos coming out, and I thought they were going to cut a promo and talk for a little while, but they literally just call out the Ascension, don't they, after Mm. their defeat uh, on a previous episode. The Ascension's music starts. Everyone, as always, is looking towards the entranceway, and it's that cool music. The lights go out; it's very atmospheric. It's it, the, the production levels they use with the ascension, even here in this this small little venue of of full cell, is very very good. Mm. But then the Usos are jumped because the ascension are in the ring behind them, and I mm. didn't expect that for one moment. And then the ascension basically just destroy the Usos and, and walk away. And I thought it was really really well done, Joshua. What did you think about this segment? So, I do have a gripe with it. And my gripe is it with it is why, like why have the Usos out there? Like are they, were they just like, hey, we want to have some time to talk? And Dusty's like, yeah, go ahead. 
Um, <clears throat> in terms of what they actually did, I think it was fine. Like to have the ascension, like go go out there and just muller through them. That would have been grand. So the only thing I'd have changed was to maybe have the Usos going out for a match, perhaps, and to have the ascension jump them from behind because of that. It just, okay. in my mind, it makes more sense. It's more like there was a plan to what we were going to do in terms of like the Usos are going out for a match. You know, that makes sense. And then to have the Ascension, like, jump them before the match takes place. Probably not a match with the Ascension, just that they were going to have a match. Um, If anything, have, like, some already in the ring talent, and then the Ascension can muller them too. (laughs) (laughs) Just just want to see the Ascension kick everyone's ass, don't we? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the the Ascension, I love what they do. They're very different. Um, they, They often move in unison which mm. I think you don't see very often. And it's actually really quite, it adds a lot to the presentation. Um, it does imply to me that what they do imp- requires a fair bit of planning. Like they've got to get these things in sync. So it's like, okay, we'll do this and then we'll go and do that. And I don't know how sustainable that is when you're not having, you know, when you're having matches longer than five minutes, that could be tricky. Mm. Um, but at the moment it works and it's very interesting. Um, as I say, it, it definitely tells the story. It keeps like it keeps what they're doing moving. Um, I still, I still got like something about like their last match. I'm still not a big fan of because of the ending and where it went. Um, so the quicker that's forgotten, the better for me. Um, so yeah, if we're just kind of keep moving and, you know, get, get the Usos and the Ascension into some sort of a program, then yeah, that's great. Let's just keep it going. And it's a good thing for the Ascension that they left the Usos laying at this point. Very different uh, presentation as well for both teams, isn't it? And obviously the Usos, as everyone's fully aware, are Samoan. They come out to their kind of upbeat music. They get the crowd chanting along with them and so on. But ultimately, they're very good when the bell rings. The Ascension, on the other hand, very dark. The lights go out. The music is a completely you know, different kettle of fish to what the Usos come out to. There's no real crowd interaction with you know, with sort of back and forth with the crowd. They do what they do mm-hmm. and the crowd react, which, is, of course, is fantastic. But completely different friend for both teams. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see where this goes. I'm really looking forward to seeing them face off again. Yeah, I think so. I think they need to have that main event blow off match. It, it needs that because so far they've had matches, but they've not really had time. And so if they're allowed to have a match with maybe a bit more bells and whistles, you know, a bit more brawling, I think that would be a very good thing for them. And I think they've deserved it and they've earned it and there's interest for it. So, yeah, I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Following this, we get quite a lengthy recap of Raw. Now, Joshua, yourself, you've covered a great deal of this on the Goodwin Report earlier on. But I did want to touch upon... This is this is the episode of Raw, obviously, as Joshua mentioned earlier on, where Jerry Lawler wrestles CM Punk in a cage for the WWE title. This is a video repackaging of that. Now, WWE do a fantastic job of making it look like must-see television when they've cut down their you know, 78-hour-long Monday Night Raw into 10 minutes. But Punk on the microphone here, destroying Jerry Lawler, is included in this recap package. And whereas normally when it comes out of a Raw recap on our NXT watchback, I groan, I roll my eyes, I'm thinking, I really got to sit through this, I'm not interested. This captivated me. To the point where I'm thinking I may go back and watch that episode of Raw because Punk I thought was superb of destroying Jerry Lawler here. Oh yeah, Punk's doing a great job with that. I think, um, as you said, he's 
I mean, he's always been a maestro with the microphone in his hand. Um, I don't think it presents Jerry Lawler in the best light, but then I think it's probably supposed to. You know, mm. I think my, my main gripe with it is it starts off with Lawler coming out and like asking for an apology. It's like, you're Jerry fucking Lawler. Like you, yeah. you've been shown up. You, I know, I appreciate you're an older gentleman now, but you want to fight. Right? It, it's where it led to. Right. So just start with like Jerry Lawler saying, look, I'm pissed off about what happened last week. I want to cook CM Punk's ass. CM mm. Punk's ass. Um, you know, and I, it just, it's just a little tweak that I think would have made more sense because the man still has his pride. And then later on when he does, you know, fight him, it's clear that that was where they were going with it anyway. So, you know, why not start going in that direction? Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just like listening to punk on the microphone, just destroy people. It's a, it's a big thing of mine ever since he first appeared on my television a long time ago, but there we go. Yeah. Just, just um, keep him, just keep him away from media scrums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to see him destroy people variably in that scenario. That's the, <laughs> I mean, of the I trouble it causes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. It's more the fallout. It wasn't great. Yeah. For him. No, exactly, mate. Exactly. Um, something else that I suppose dominated the television for a very short period of time was I don't really know how to word this. We have we have Big E coming out and he is gonna wrestle uh Chase Donovan. And again, mm-hmm. this to me is exactly how it should have been done. It's over in seconds. Predictably Big E wins and 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 Chase Donovan I think may still be led in that ring unconscious to this day. You know he might be. He might be mm. I, I hear that they had to move full sail arena and just they just yeah. buried him. That's it. Just piled modem back on top of him. So yeah, he's done with. Yeah. Uh, but what I took away from this match is that either Biggie has to do something with his gear, or we have to get a slightly better camera angle when a taller, more muscular gentleman is coming down the entranceway. Because when Biggie made his entrance, we got quite a well-defined example of what little E may look like through his <laughs> ring gear. It's funny that you mentioned that because I didn't notice it on this show. Uh, but in Biggie's debut, I watched it with me missus, and that was the very first thing she picked up on. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, maybe a cup. Maybe yeah. a, just, just a something, because, yeah, it's, it's a little uncomfortable. I don't want to get poked in the eye. No. <laughs> Definitely not, mate. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. and, and obviously, being such a big, jacked-up dude, like it can make other things appear smaller, and we don't want that. No, no, no. We don't want Big E being embarrassed by Little E, do we? No chance. No, no. <laughs> Maybe but, that's why he's got all the muscles he's compensating. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I would never say that to his face, but potentially. <laughs> you, you wouldn't say it to his face, no. No. And, I'm, and he's a lovely boy. He's such mm. a nice man. He is. He is. Uh, but yes, he wins this match just literally by smashing through his opponent. And again, booked to me, booked perfectly, because this is only, what, his second outing? Yes, um, this is the second go around. He should um, be looking like an absolute killer at this stage, shouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think they're looking at him and going, "He's a main eventer," and that's how they're booking him. Like, and as you said, he hit two moves. He like ran through the guy, hit the big ending. That was that, and that's all it needed to be. It's very um, early Goldberg, early Ryback, any of those kind of people, you know, mm-hmm. smashing them over. We've seen it before. We'll see it again, but it works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That then brings us to our main event of the evening, the Seth Rollins versus Jinder Mahal NXT Championship match. Uh, I like a lot of things they do in this very, you know, the, the beginning of this, because, you know, before the bell rings, but there's something I'm not a fan of as well. Uh, but basically, in the order that it happened, we have the roster coming out on stage before the guys make their entrance. 
Mm. I like that. It's, yes. I mean, it's, the, the longer the match goes on, the more awkward it looks or the more sort of stood there. So I'll, I'll just throw it out there first. Like the thing that I really disliked was you had like faces stood with heels. Yes. Specifically front and center. You had Cy Powell's favorite, Sophia Cortez, <laughs> not Sophia Cortez. Uh... Wait, I'll start again. You had Cy Powell's favorite, Raquel Diaz, stood right next to her apparent mortal enemy, Paige. Yes. You know, and it's like, for God's sake, just someone take just a moment to think about it. Just a minute to go, oh, yeah, those two are supposed to hate each other. Let's just have them shuffle one to the left, one to the right. I mean, so for the meet and greets that used to, you know, used to do and still do, um, what you tend to do is you have heels on one side, you have the referees and the MCs and stuff, and then you have, you know, the baby faces on the other side. And that makes sense. It's not a difficult thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's a small touch that means that you're not shitting over your whole storyline. Um, but now I've lost my trailer thread because I'm getting angry. What were you going to say, Sai? <laughs> <laughs> well the, the roster come out on stage and, and they're there to watch this this historic moment i like that because again it adds to a big match feel yes we get more in a moment that adds to the big match feel which i'll come to in just a second but then we cut backstage to Big E because apparently he's the interviewer has caught up with him backstage and wants to talk with him now i appreciate what they're going for here he's a big monster and, and, and bill goldberg is where my mind always goes to with this sort of scenario bill goldberg didn't do an interview for months Mm. Mean Gene would approach him with the microphone and he would just walk past him or give him a look and carry on walking. And it added to the mystique here. I get like, they're trying to do a, a similar kind of thing. There's similar vibes here with Biggie, mm-hmm. but all we get is Biggie doing some crazy over the top, heavy breathing into the microphone. And it's a complete miss for me. Mate, you talked about it literally. He's doing his phone sex. <laughs> it's like when you, you know, used to get the cold callers and they just, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no no way no that's bad don't do that it didn't work for me at all <laughs> no uh, it, it, it took me out of it as well because mm. again it's just like and especially now talking of, we've talked about biggie's junk too you know <laughs> biggie's getting getting you know all sexual on us mm. Let's. yeah there we go uh what follows though i did really enjoy we have jim ross on commentary so instantly it feels big deal because Jim Ross is there. Mm. We have Dusty Rhodes come out as well. And the championship is there mm-hmm. and, and so on. And then Howard Finkel is there to do the ring entrances, the ring introductions. Sorry. And I just instantly, the moment Howard Finkel started talking, I thought, right, this feels like a big deal now. Because he has Absolutely. called so many historic title changes going way, way back to the eighties and, and maybe before. And to me, you know, that whole, and new from Howard Finkel is so iconic yeah you know it it made such a difference for me how did you find this josh so howard finkel i don't think it can really be argued in terms of ring announcers is the best in the business yes and his voice is iconic uh that he just had that level of professionalism to him like everything he did about like anyone who thinks of a ring announcer probably thinks of him unless they're thinking of Tony Chimmel introducing Edge. Uh, <laughs> Superstar. Superstar. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it, and it does, it adds like a big whack of credibility to it. Cause it's Fink and it just, it makes a big difference. Cause everyone's like, Oh, it Howard Finkel's here. It must be serious. Um, and Dusty being out there 
Um, and you said like the whole NXT roster, it feels like a big deal and it mm. should. So, you know, this is, this would be little touches that add a lot. Yeah. And I love it as well because we get to hear that brilliant Dusty Rhodes theme tune that I think is one of the all time greatest entrance themes ever. It's fantastic. Absolutely. He's just a common man, Si. He is. He is working hard with his hands. Um, <laughs> Dusty goes and shakes the competitor's hands before the match, which again, I thought was a nice touch because he goes to Seth first. Seth looks very respectful and, and, and so on. And Jinder's not interested. And, and straight away, I thought that was very, very simple, but a clever little touch. Yeah, I, I didn't like it so much myself just because I felt it was a little bit too, it, it's just a bit blur. Like the guy's still your boss. Mm-hmm. I, I get I get that you're a you know supposed to be an asshole, but you're an asshole with a sense of self preservation. Yeah. You know? And so I think it was maybe a little bit too much for me. Okay. Um but I, I see what they're trying to do. I just think he Dusty Rose hasn't actually done anything to piss you off yet. So like, don't be a dick, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like baby ba- like heels are always good at throwing their toys out the pram at authority figures when they feel like they're not getting a fair shake. So maybe if you know what's coming happens then you've got a reason to have a gripe with the people in charge otherwise like you know have have a a suitable level of disdain for them but you ain't got no reason to you know not shake their hands and be civil yeah okay yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah flashlight uh the match starts with seth rollins you know getting a few moves in before jinder mahal takes control for a short time with a bit of a sneaky elbow where they try and break from the ropes and it's not a clean break but again, Rollins fights back. So the early part of the match is quite back and forth, Joshua, isn't it? Yeah, it's got a good level of... Um, it's, it's quite dynamic, I guess you could mm. say. Um, it has... But yeah, you had Jinder taking shortcuts early. You had uh, Seth fighting across... Uh, fighting to overcome it. Uh, you had a massive chop at one point. Mm. It sounded like a gun went off, and that's always fun to uh, wake up your audience. Um, had Seth... I'd say essentially outmaneuvering Jinder and just outquicking him. It was a little, it was quite reminiscent of um, like Shawn Michaels in 96, I think, where he was wrestling yeah. a bigger guy. He would use his speed to outmaneuver his guy. Um, and then obviously he went for his little dive, didn't he? And crashed and burned, my friend. He crashed and burned in a big way, but not as big as I feel he should have. Right. Okay. You feel it should have been more to that? So the. He got essentially like to try and set the mental image in people's minds. He got Ric Flair like beeled off the top rope, but as opposed to being on the top rope, he was on the apron and he went to the floor. Now for me, I've taken bumps off the apron to the floor. They are hideous. And so from my perspective, I think that needs to be bordering on an injury angle. Like you need to be so hurt that you can almost not continue. And I think they could have done that. Or they could have just not had the move in there because prior to having done it, Jinder like caught a kick and threw him down, and he took like the front the face bump on the apron, mm-hmm. and I think that would have been sufficient. Like I understand that you're trying to get a big move in because it's a big match, and so it gives it that like added level of whatever. Like it just makes it more important. Um, but I don't think they capitalized on it enough. I feel it, it could have been one of those where you had like Jr. jumping out of his seat, going "Good God Almighty, that killed him." You know, I, I I don't feel as if it couldn't be on that level because, again, you've got to think moving forward, if that didn't do enough damage to, like, potentially cause an injury, what do you have to do to someone in order to actually hurt them? Yeah, okay. 
it wasn't as if Seth didn't sell the back and it wasn't as if the commentary didn't make a point of it being like a, a big damaging thing. Like they said that his spine was hurt. Again, I think someone maybe should have told Rollins at times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think for some, for a bump that was that big, like, honestly, you've got like your roster up on the top of the ramp there. I'd have had some of them run down. Mm. Oh I'd, yeah, I'd, that's a great idea. I'd have I'd have made it a much bigger deal if you're going to do that spot. I'd have I'd have made much more out of it because that would have been bloody awful. I mean, I don't know about you. It looked like it could yeah. have crippled him. Yeah, it looked bad. And I, I guess I was knowing how the match goes and so on. That they are the, the camel clutch is mentioned right at the very beginning by Jim Ross, and yeah. he says that that move has brought Jinder Mahal to where he is now. So having Rollins take a big bump on his back and then in theory selling the back throughout the match and mm-hmm. we're building towards this attempted camel clutch later on. Yes. Which in theory will end the match. But you know, when we get to the finish, we'll see why I thought it was quite a clever bit of storytelling for, throughout the contest. But also I think you're right, there were moments where Seth forgot that he was supposed to have a bad back because one moment he's struggling and, and Jinder Mahal is hitting quite you know nasty but crisp looking backbreakers and so on and mm-hmm. he's selling the back then and then next thing you know he's bouncing off the ropes and, and throwing drop kicks and, and and stuff like that yeah i think that would be accurate i think like you can still hit stuff like Shawn michaels was the master of this and it was you he was still capable but in between everything like he would grab that back and it would look mm. awful and like i remember i mean this was more sort of legit but like a moment i can think of was um when he wrestled austin at wrestlemania 14 and he gave him a slam and he immediately grabbed his back and it was like he was mad at his back Mm -hmm. like he was first and like come on we're gonna keep going um and so to have just had a little bit more of that i I think you gotta give seth a bit of a break because he was like it's not as if he'd never done any wrestling but he was still new to this he was still like you know learning and developing and probably getting a bit more of the wwe style he'd come off the indies obviously you know don't want to bash the indies but at the same time it's a quicker pace there's often a little less psychology sometimes. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, again, I, for me, it was more that, that, that move was such a, should have been made much more of a big deal. Um, and yeah, I think Rollins didn't necessarily make the most of it. I think, um, commentary at times tried to cover for it, but I think they maybe could have done with a bit more gusto. Okay. I, I think it's like what we said about, um, like football commentators and the balls like inside the penalty box, they get a bit more animated. I think that this needs to feel like there was a lot more jeopardy to it. Um, That's a great word. word. Well, that's a brilliant way of describing it. More jeopardy to Rollins' challenge, I guess. That, that's spot on. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, like they gave Jinder a lot of the match. Mm-hmm. I think they could have potentially given him even more, especially because of where it was going. Um, I understand that we're trying to get Seth over, but at the same time, Seth kind of is over. Like, like their crowd are behind him. They've got like the Seth Rollins for NXT champ signs and that. I think he he was one of the guys who came in with a bit more of it indie clout. I think the two main guys I'd say would probably be him and Cassius Ono. Apologies to anyone who I've forgotten, but I know you all listen, so you know I'm sure you'll write in. <laughs> but like, hey, what about me? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's clear to me that like the people are behind him, so you maybe don't need to give him too much. And also, if you've in my mind, if you've hurt his back, and I feel like you've with that big beal off the top, like you've really hurt his back. 
it could be a case where, you know, Rollins starts to fight back, starts to fight back. And as soon as like Jinder gets in trouble, he can just go back to the back and he can like really sell it big. Again, Michaels was the master of this. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what they did, like it, it wasn't at all bad. They got, they got their shit in and that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm being maybe a little bit nitpicky with it all. Cause I, I, I did really enjoy this. I don't know whether it was because of all the extras with, with dusty mm-hmm. and, and Howard Finkel and Jim Ross and whatever, but I did really enjoy this. I thought it was a, a good main event. Yes. There could have been things done to maybe improve what they already had in the match. You know, like you said, making more of that bump on the outside. I think the way you've explained that you're absolutely spot on the money that that would have made it even more of a big deal, but mm. I still quite enjoyed what I saw. I mean, what I dislike, and obviously it's television wrestling, so this does happen. We go to a break twice during this match, which is a little frustrating. Yeah, it is a little frustrating. Like, I and I, I can understand that it kind of has to be done. Um, but we could have had a few more breaks earlier on because I don't think there was yes. a break in the in the whole show up until that point. Well, this is it. This is it. When we return from the first break, uh, Jinder is still in charge. Seth is getting beaten on. Mm-hmm. Rollins is is at this point selling the back. Uh, and then Rollins does a move off the top to the outside after Jinder himself takes a tumble. So again, I mean, they call it high risk for a reason. I appreciate that. But he's just had this big bump that is a huge part of the storytelling for this match with regards to his back injury and so on. To then go off the top rope like that, that's one of those moments where I thought to myself, okay, maybe you couldn't, you could have done something else there and maybe mm. pushed the back issue more. What do you think? I mean, to be fair, after the big dive, like Seth does go back to like really selling the back, like that really did some mm. damage. And I think you can, you can kind of attribute it to like the youthful exuberance and a little bit of the more guts than brains kind of okay. deal. And so I don't, I don't necessarily hate it. Like, because, you know, wrestlers often do gut it out through things. Cause I mean, if if it were real and you'd actually taken that big launch off of the off of that off the apron onto the um onto the ramp, I think that match is over. Yeah. You know, I think anyone sensible is like, nah, nah, I, I cannot continue. But that's why, you know, wrestling's more opera, it's more soap, it's it's more you know, it's just more. There's more story to it. Like you really can gut your way through things like that. And so I didn't hate it in that regard. Um as I said, just not the just not the brightest thing in the world to do. Um, mm. But yeah, I think because they got them in. I can't remember what was next. Si. What was next? <laughs> what did they do? Uh, well, after this, Seth Rollins effectively ends up getting crotched on the top rope. Yes, he, yes. He's doing cool. something back into the ring, and Jinder kind of bumps the rope, so he crotches himself, and then Jinder goes up the turnbuckles and meets him on the high risk territory i suppose and hits him with a, a big massive booming superplex which again i thought was good because straight away the back is the issue again yeah more jeopardy i i mm. don't i don't think that was especially bad i get i liked that jinder stayed down because i think it would have been one of those where you could argue that jinder would have won the match at that point if he could follow up but it makes sense that he couldn't because he'd taken mm. a bump as well like a you know a big old superplex that's a big bump too for both competitors so i i it's one of those things again like looking forward like i very strongly dislike when individuals like seth rollins do the superplex and then follow it up like they'll roll through and do something else because like you've just taken a big back bump off the top rope like that that's going to hurt at least it should in theory same as you know getting pitched off the side of an apron not to keep banging on about it yeah you're right you're right uh the exception to that rule obviously being the god that is barry windham because when he hit a superplex and just rolled through to make a cover it looked fucking beautiful 
Yeah, and I mean, you could argue <laughs> that the the impact of hitting the mat was what floated him into the yes. cover. So yeah. you know, it still knocked the wind out of him potentially, but you know, he wound up on the top on on top of his opponent. So you know, that's that's our Barry Windham apologist segment of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Jinder Mahal gets a very, very, very near fall with a kind of tilt a whirl into a power slam, side slam kind of effort, which looked quite oh. crisp, quite nice, didn't it? Yes, yeah, I think potentially. I, I can't think of what you call that. Yeah, it was just sort of a, and maybe a modified Michinoku driver, I'd say. Mm. But yes, it was, it was very nice. I mean, it, simple, real simple move, really, because it was nothing more than really a body slam. He just kicked his legs out. But yeah, yeah it looked looked real good. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it looked very good, Jess. Uh, we got a full Nelson attempt then by Jinder Mahal. And on commentary, Jim Ross tries to explain this as putting pain and talk and um, tension on the neck and the shoulders, which will then affect the back. So I may not 100% know if that's true or agree, but at least Jim Ross is trying to tell the story here. So I feel like uh, at this time, Jinder's other finish was the full Nelson slam. Yes. Um, but we haven't seen it. Mm. So we haven't, we've had 10 weeks and we haven't seen it. Like you've had the opportunity to like get that move over and you haven't. So don't suddenly have him using it and have it be like a false finish. I don't think like you've been building the camel clutch, have him try for that camel clutch at every opportunity and have like the match built around. If he gets that camel clutch on the match is done. Don't try and have him hit different near falls at that point. I think you've, you've kind of, it's too late for that. Mm. Yeah, you're not going to get, I suppose, the desired reaction. And again, it comes back to that word that you've used, the, the jeopardy of the situation, because mm. people are unaware that that is a move he wins matches with. Exactly. But they are aware that he wins matches with the camera clutch. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, we get a few, well, I say a few, the near falls now really accelerate as we come towards the end of the match. Uh, Seth Rollins hits that sort of flying top rope knee but not a knee drop. It's, it's a flying knee strike as, as Jinder has stood up when he hits him with it. Mm -hmm. And also we get a super kick from Seth Rollins with Jinder Mahal on his knees, which looked fantastic. Jinder sold it great. The snap of the kick, the noise, everything looked brilliant. But to me, that should be a finish. <laughs> He's just kicked the guy's face clean off his head. Yeah, I think it. I think it was something that he used to end matches on the Indies. I think he. I believe he called it the Adava Kadava for all you uh, Harry Potter fans out there. Okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, I. I think you can use it as a as a super near fall, but yeah, I think you probably do need to establish that as a finish. You know, because as you said, you've just kicked a guy in the jaw. That would probably end most fights, unless your you know your legs are wet noodle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, this does all lead, though, to what I think is a pretty clever finish because we've had the bad back and the camel clutch being pushed on commentary and the camel clutch, I suppose, being put over in the previous rounds as Jinder's used it to progress to this stage, brilliantly explained by Jim Ross at the start of the match. And he, he goes for, he, sorry, Jinder goes for the camel clutch on Rollins. Rollins kind of rolls through it and turns it into a buckle bomb. And then the blackout stomp out of nowhere. And it's it, it's a win for Seth Rollins. And I thought that was a really clever finish because it showed at that moment, Rollins was done because Jinder snaps that move on, it's over. Mm -hmm. But within a couple of seconds, things have been countered. 
Seth has almost been quite opportunistic, I guess, with how things have dropped. Hits his finish, wins the match. I thought it was a really clever, I suppose, almost mini swerve in what they were doing in the last 30 seconds of the match. Sai, I must tell you, I couldn't agree less. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. And and here's for why. Um, You're right in that um, he countered the camel clutch. Um, he He countered it into a pin, which Jinder then kicked out of. Yep. I think that should have been the finish. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think you pin him there. I think you, you still have your guy win. You still have Seth go over. Um, you don't need to get Seth shit in at that point. Like have him get his buckle bar on his, I think they call it the blackout, but his stomp, have him mm-hmm. get his stomp in another day. Like ha- for me again, to go back. So you've had the big bump. I say at that point, Seth is injured to the point where he can't do much except not except like kick out. You know, have him uh, mount a few comebacks, have him like, you know, get, get some hope, not die, but don't have <laughs> not like, die. <laughs> not die, <laughs> but not have like massive, big, like comebacks. And so then when he does counter that camel clutch and he does get like so, that sort of scrappy pin and he wins off it. Well, first off, you've got Seth Rollins over as a guy who wouldn't quit. He did not die. He was absolutely up shit's creek without a paddle, but he did not quit and then managed to pull off the win. So you've got that. You've also got Jinder Mahal having a gripe saying it was a fluke. He could, he wouldn't do it again. So you've got rematches there. I think the mm-hmm. problem that you've got here, and I appreciate they're trying to get Seth over at Jinder's expense, but I think what's next for what's next for Seth Rollins now? There's not, there's not anything like you've gone back to being completely flat and you could have a series of rematches with Jinder Mahal at this point. But I think with the way that they did it, they beat him like flat as a plate full of piss. And so where does Jinder Mahal go from here? Mm. Um, and then again, where does Seth Rollins go from here? He'll, he'll go on to face other people and he'll just be the champ. But I think if you'd have had that more sort of a roll up finish where he did just sort of like get one over on Jinder, especially where they've been building the camel clutches being like this lethal thing. So if Seth Rollins has come up with like, you know, a counter to it, that makes Seth Rollins that much better. Um, But also you then have more question marks for the next time they face off because yeah, you got me that once, but can you do it again? And maybe Seth still got a bit of a bad back. And so there's more storytelling potential there, especially like, it's not something you could do on like a smaller scale, but you've got a television show. You've got a television show that people follow. So you can tell those stories. So you can have that rematch. I don't think you're going to have that rematch. And to be honest, I think if we see Jinder Mahal again, it's not going to be any good for Jinder. Like, I think you've kind of, you've, you've slayed that big bad dragon. And like, where's he going to go from here? Fucking nowhere. Well, where he's going to go is 3MB, but we'll get there. Yeah, 3MB, bloody hell. Uh, no, you make a lot of good good points there. That, that's, that's, that's really well put forward. I mean, playing devil's advocate, the way that this match ended, I mean, if the, if this was, say, the crowning of the second NXT champion, or the third, or the fifth, or the tenth, or whatever, the belt had been around for a while, and this was just a title change, mm-hmm. I'm completely with you. However, the crowning of the very first champion, that mm-hmm. footage is going to be replayed over and over and over again. Yeah from a television standpoint and from a, I suppose, creating moments like those, we spoke about the, the CM Punk, Jerry Lawler back and forth on raw. Now I go back and watch that. I guarantee it's not as good as they made it look, but Uh that's, that's how they produce television. That's how they do these things. Seeing Seth shake Dusty's hand, hit his finish, Mm -hmm. stand there with the title. Thinks name, uh, sorry, thinks voice 
singing out and new and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That there is a promo package. That there is a, a television clip that you can replay again and again and again. I think that probably plays into it because I don't think that video package will be as effective if it's done in, in a roll-up form because you don't get to see the stomp from Rollins, maybe. Hey, Sai, do you remember the first time Sting won the world title? Mm-hmm. Do you remember how he did it? That was a roll-up, wasn't it? It was a roll-up. Yeah. Hell of a moment, wasn't it? It was, It was. yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Do you remember how they hoisted him up on everyone, everyone hoisted him up on their shoulders and they did mm-hmm. the same moment? Yeah. You could probably still have a roll-up. Yeah, okay. you're right. You're right. I, 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 again, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. No, no, no. I'm just I mean, trying I'm... to think from a WWE production stamp. They love their sound bikes, don't they? They love their video sure. clips. Sure. And you can guarantee that Vince or whoever, somebody backstage is going, no, we can't beat him on a roller because we want this video. That's where, that's where my mind would go. I, I get you. I mean, I, I guess I just disagree in terms of you could still have a moment with a roller, as was proved mm-hmm. with sting first winning the world title with a small package i mean as an nwa guy or like a jim crockett guy like you've you've probably seen that more times than you've seen people get beat clean yeah potentially on the big big title changes um yeah and i don't think it necessarily hurts the moment again like we've seen a lot of big moments i again i think of uh, wrestlemania 20 when eddie guerrero beat uh kurt angle uh, like a a sneaky roll-up as it were yeah um and i I suppose you've got SummerSlam 92 Sure. Uh, the, bull, the bulldog counters the sunset flip. That's another one. Yeah. Okay. I see your point. Yeah. Yeah. And and in terms of like big crowning achievements, like it still works, and it just mm. means that you've got somewhere to go. Like it means Jinder's got somewhere to go afterwards. Because I feel like right now, the only place Jinder's got to go is down. I mean, you can always rebuild him. You can always do something with him. But in terms of like where you could take this now, it's like eh, you can't really take it very far. Mm. Yeah. You, you, you kind you kind of have to switch gears with Jinder. I guess is what I'm saying now. Which isn't necessarily yeah. a bad thing, but you didn't necessarily have to, and you could have put it off. And you, I think you've got potential for rematches that you now don't have. That being said, that curb stomp looked great. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I suppose with Jinder, he, he could be destined for the main roster from this point forward. I don't know. I don't know the exact timeline, but they could already have made plans for him to disappear from NXT. In which case, beating him this way won't be as big a deal because they. They, they, their plans may not be for rematches in the future. I don't know. We'll have to see where yeah. we go next no, week that, and beyond, I guess. That's absolutely true. I mean, it, there's nothing that says that they have to use Jinder in that role. He, I mean, he's already a, a main roster guy, which obviously I think was why they had him you know, progress to the final of the tournament. So mm-hmm. they could say, you know, it was a big scalp for, uh, for Seth. Um, ironically, he wasn't, uh, he didn't feature in my Goodwin report, probably because the week before he'd been annihilated by Ryback and therefore was probably <laughs> in a deep, was in a deep dark hole anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. And look at that, hey, two grown grown men discussing wrestling, having different viewpoints, and talking about it like adults. God, I wish the rest of the internet could take notes on hey, this. I didn't call you an idiot once, did I? No, no, not on air anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, there we go then we have our first nxt champion and it's seth rollins uh he is announced as such by the brilliant Harrod finkel we get all the roster coming down lifting him celebrating and so on and that's how the show goes off air i'm intrigued to see how this is dealt with and where we go next week joshua absolutely i mean it was a tremendous feel-good moment it was the crowning of a new champion it's the dawn of a new age let's go get it 
Exactly. Before we depart, however, we do need to rate the show overall. Uh, our good points, our bad points, our negatives and our positives with our soft and our glorious. There's only one word to describe you! Glorious! You're soft, you slap. First or second, Joshua? Um, I'll go second, please, sir. Okay. My soft for this week is the... I, I've got here in front of me on my notes the Big E promo. But it's not a promo. It's the Big E heavy breathing, I guess. it That just didn't work for me. Yeah, I think that's uh, that would be my soft as well. Ironically enough, the Big Fair E phone sex. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably wasn't much soft about it, mate. No, probably not. But at the same time, yeah, that wasn't necessary, I don't think. And, and the, the timing of it as well. Yeah, the, the build-up and the intros for the main event, and then they chuck to this. It, it, it kind of. You, why not just do this before we go to the main event? Literally, just move it thirty seconds on the show, and it would maybe been a different outcome. Have Briley Pierce at the top of the ramp. Mm-hmm. Have Biggie getting out the ring. Do the do the old uh, Mean Gene. I mean, maybe it's a little too on the nose, Goldberg. But then, how long ago was Goldberg? Like you know, a lot of the NXT audience probably or possibly wouldn't even remember. You'd get away no, with it. Right. You'd get away with it at least the once. Mm, yeah, yeah, great show. Uh, my glorious is well, first of all, the fact that we finally got a champion. We finally got somebody holding that title, and the fact that Howard Finkel was on the show. Because I had no idea that he was part of this moment until I heard his voice. And it was a proper, oh, why he thinks that for me. So, yeah, that's that's my glorious, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I think my glorious would be the stuff around, like how they made that first NXT title match feel special. Having mm. the NXT roster, having the dream, having Fink. Fink made a big difference because it's like, yes. oh, this this is important. Like, I appreciate they have Jim Ross on all these shows, but having Jim Ross, I feel like he put in a bit of a shift as well. Like, he started off, like, the very first time I heard JR, I could have almost been transported back to, like, late 90s, dub, like, Raw. He was really, like, he was in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Uh, overall, then, hit, miss, or middling, bud? So, I'm going to quickly go through it because when I first watched it, it's, it's essentially a one-match card, right? When I first watched it, I was like, ah, that's middling. That's okay. You know, I wasn't blown away by it. I watched it again to, like, take my notes, and I hated it. I hated everything okay. about it because I was very much like that big bump should have been made more of Seth should be selling the back. He should be selling the back. Seth, sell your fucking back, mate. You're <laughs> knackered. You're knackered. JR, why aren't you making more of a fact that make make more of a fact that Seth Rollins back is broken. His back is in pieces. It's in atoms. Um, and so, yeah, it really pissed me off. Um, left me with a very bitter taste in my mouth. But then I watched the match as a whole instead of pausing it every four seconds. And I was like, you know what, actually, this is quite a good match. So they wanted to crown a new champion. They've crowned a new champion. The future is now. Seth Rollins is there. You know, God is in his heaven. All is well with the world. I say this is a hit, mate. I agree. I say this is a hit as well. Uh, the match itself, the main event, I think did the job it needed to, as you said, crowning the champion. And it was a decent enough match for me. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the show, granted, as we said, it was a one-match card, but the rest of the show still accomplished what each segment needed to accomplish, I think. Yeah, the I big, think so. The squashing, the, the ascension stuff, and all that. So, yeah, I think it was odd, really, because quite a lot happened, but there was only really one big thing that happened. But everything mattered, despite the fact that 
it was a shorter show and it felt like nothing really happened. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't Weird, disagree really. with that. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. It felt like there was obviously again, I feel like if you've been watching up to this point, you just want to know the main event. And so everything else, like you kind of like just get out of the way. I want to see the main event. I want to see the main event. And I think that's what they did with it. Um yeah, like as you said, I think everything was fair to good. So mm. yeah, can't yeah. mark can't mark that down. Yeah, there we go then. So we have our first champion. Let's see what happens with that next week. But before we depart, Joshua, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? Well, assuming Twitter doesn't burn itself down, I'm on Joshua Goodwin PW. Um, might be finding another social media platform soon. You never know. It's up to Uncle Elon. Um, other than that, uh, Joshua Goodwin on Facebook. Uh, that, that's about it, really. You probably, you know, you might find me down the park feeding the ducks. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> There we go. Uh, you can follow the network that carries this show at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, make sure you're following us and subscribed on all your podcast players as well. Chuck us a review on those because it helps the network out a huge amount. You know, retweet, share all our info. Let's get as many listeners to the network and all the shows as we possibly can. That's at SJP World Media. And of course, you can follow this show on Twitter. Uh, and that is at NXT underscore rise and fall at nxt underscore rise and four chuck us a message let us know if you're enjoying the show what you think uh, what you'd like to us to do more of less of whatever any anything any feedback bloody hell i can't speak today any <laughs> info or feedback is hugely appreciated there we go so yeah. new champ new start off we go ah yeah and, and i think we've all learned a lesson si and that lesson is if you stare at something for too long you'll probably hate it so just enjoy it for what it is yes there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll speak to you next week my friend I right, see you later mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>